Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Alright, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to finish out chapter 12. We cannot be neutral about Jesus. We have to make a decision. We have to accept Him or reject Him. And to try to remain neutral is just to stay on the fence and, be, and, and reject Him. Um, what we see today in this text are, I think, pointing to this, this uh, choice that we have to make. There's some, fair, some Pharisees and scribes who come to Jesus with one response and one way of relating to him. And then later on in the text at the end, we see how his disciples relate to him in a different way. So we're seeing this contrast. Now, as we look at the text today, there's three parts that really don't look like they fit together. But I think they do with this one theme rolling through it. There, there are two ways we can relate to Jesus. We can... We can um, Try to, you know, get him to prove himself and reject him. Or we can do the will of the Father and be counted as his family. Those are really the only two options. Um, I think it all fits together under that. Um, Let's go ahead and read our text beginning in verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Noah or Jonah, but behold, something greater than Jonah is here. For the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Yet it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation." While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. 
Lord, we pray that we would not be people who are trying to get you to prove yourself, trying to test you, or trying to come to you for entertainment. But Lord, that we would be people who, who love you, who come to you as those who do the will of the Father, who come to you as your children, as your family. Father, give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, these passages don't look like they fit together, do they? We, we look here at the first part, and these Pharisees come and scribes come to Jesus, and they're asking for a sign, and Jesus rebukes them for asking for a sign, and says, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. And then he talks about this Queen of the South. And then we jump into another passage that doesn't look like it's really related, and it says there's this unclean spirit, this demon who goes out of a man who, who, uh, who's just kind of wandering around and then remembers, oh yeah, I can go back home. He comes back home and finds it all cleaned up, and he goes and finds seven other demons and joins him there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. What does that have to do with the sign of Jonah? What does that have to do with these Pharisees uh, coming to him. Here's what I think ties them together. The last line of the second part. So also will it will be for this evil generation. So also will, will it be for this evil generation. What is he talking about in the first? He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Right? That's what he says to the Pharisees. He also says, um, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. So what ties them together here is this um, the, the talking about this evil generation. That's why they fit together. And so um, what, what Jesus here is doing in the second part is he's giving an illustration to show what this generation is like. It's like someone who ends up worse than they started out. Let's go ahead and look at the beginning part of the text. Uh, I just wanted to show how those fit together first. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him. Now, it starts here, they answered him. They answered him. So this is assuming we're continuing on with the story that came before it. What we looked at last week was about how Jesus had rebuked these um, Pharisees who had told him that he cast out demons by the power of demons. And he, he, he rebuked them and said that, that um, uh, you know, they, they were dangerously close if they hadn't already committed blasphemy of the, against the Holy Spirit. He's warning them what you're saying is very close at least to, to crossing a line into something that cannot be forgiven. And, and he says that, uh, that, that um, uh, a tree will be known by its fruits and that they, these Pharisees, are a brood of vipers. He's saying that they are, they are like the seed of the serpent. They are um, wicked. They are acting like their father. They're acting like their nature. And these scribes and Pharisees, uh, in this passage, today's passage, they're answering Jesus... And they're saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. 
at this, we kind of have to step back and we think, what? They're asking to see a sign? I mean, haven't they already been around? I mean, weren't they the same guys who rebuked Jesus and said that He was casting out demons by the power of demons? They had already seen Him cast out a demon, and, and this man who was mute and, and blind it was able to see and speak. What more sign do you want? <laughs> they knew that Jesus was one who had raised the dead. He was one who had... Uh, had uh, caused the blind to see, the, the lame to walk. He's one who, who uh, had calmed the sea. He had done all these miracles already, and yet they come to Him and they say, we want to see a sign. Which makes us question how genuine they really were. They'd seen plenty of signs. They wanted to see a show. They didn't want to come to Jesus for who He was. They didn't want to come to Jesus for His teaching. They didn't want to come to Him for forgiveness of sins. They wanted to see a dog and pony show. They wanted to see entertainment. They wanted to test Him. How many tests are you going to do? How many signs do you need to see? And Jesus rebukes them. He answers them. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. These, these Pharisees and these scribes, they wanted to see a sign. They wanted to see positive proof that Jesus was God, that He was who He said He was, that He was the Messiah. They wanted to see something that they could, they, they could uh, know for sure without any doubts whatsoever. Well, thank God we're not like that anymore, are we? Ooh. Boy, you look at... Uh, it'd be easy to point out atheists and say, oh, you know, if your God is real, why doesn't He prove Himself? It's easy to point to the other guy. But how oftentimes do we lack in our own faith? And we want to see him work right now in the way we want him to. And answer our prayers right now. And if he doesn't do it, and we just threaten not to believe. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus says in another place, Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. We, we don't see Jesus in our midst. We, we don't have the privilege that the early disciples had of walking with Him. But we are blessed that we believe though we have not seen. We don't get those signs. Jesus tells these Sign seekers, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign and no sign will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, that, asks, that, that brings up the question, what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? Well, let's keep reading and find out. And I, I'm going I'm to suggest that it's more, it, it, it's, it's bigger than just one thing. 
But, but here, let's go ahead and read what it says. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be in uh, three days and three nights in this part of the earth. First of all, there's a correspondence here between the story of Jonah and Jesus himself. Jonah was in the belly of that great fish. The end of chapter 1, the last verse of chapter 1 tells us that it was three days and three nights. And Jesus here points to the story of Jonah and says the sign that they're going to receive is the same sign of Jonah. What is that? The Son of Man, that's Jesus Himself, is going to be in the belly of the earth for three days and come out. Saying, you want to see a sign that's proof positive? You're not going to get it right now, but you will. Jesus says, you want to see a sign? You just wait. Whenever I'm crucified and you put me in a, in a, in a grave, three days later, I'm going to raise again. That's what Jesus says the sign that they're going to have is going to be. But Jesus doesn't stop there when talking about Jonah. He also says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at this judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. That's what Ron read about. Ron read about Jonah walking into this city. Jonah had been in the belly of those fish, this great fish, for three days. And as Ron alluded to, you know, he was probably smelled bad. He, he had been swimming around in digestive juices. Please don't let anybody get sick. Probably had his skin turned white. You know, you spend a couple, like an hour in the bathtub and you notice how your fingers get all wrinkly. Three days in saliva. His body probably looked like a corpse. You, you know, think of the, the, the show Walking Dead. That's probably what Jonah looked like. Something like that. He smelled. Probably smelled like rotting flesh. And he walks into the city and the people all see him. No wonder they listen to him. No wonder they listen to him. They, they, why else? I mean, it, you just, if you just have a normal person walk into the city saying, three days and it's all going to be destroyed, are they going to listen to him? You think of maybe somebody out on a street corner in a big city with this, uh, this billboard on, on them, this walking billboard saying, you know, the end is near. Repent. Most people just walk right on past and don't listen. But you have Jonah who'd been spending three days in the belly of a whale or of a great fish. Sorry, Josh, I think I made him sick. <laughs> Walking through the city like this, they're going to believe him. Jonah goes into the city and they listen to him. It says they believed they believed God's message. They believed God's Word. They repented. They said, who knows, maybe God will forgive us. Jonah didn't preach forgiveness. He just said, 40 days it's going to burn. And yet, 
the people responded to the message positively. They repented of their sins. They wore sackcloth and ashes. They even had the, the, the uh, uh, animals sit in sackcloth and ashes. And fasting. And what Jesus here is saying is that on the day of judgment, on that final day when the dead are raised and we all stand before God to be judged, the people of Nineveh will rise up and condemn this generation, Jesus' generation, because they had someone greater than Jonah. They had the Son of God. They had a man who really rose from the dead. And yet they didn't listen to him. They didn't listen to him. He then changes to another illustration. He talks about the Queen of the South. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He's giving another illustration from the Old Testament. The Queen of the South, this is probably talking about um, uh, 1 Kings chapter 10. And it says the Queen of Sheba came to see um, Solomon. Now, just a little bit of background information. Solomon was David's son, King David's son. Uh, Solomon was a son that was born to Bathsheba, the, the woman that David had committed adultery with. After, after their first child that was conceived in adultery died, they married, and they had another son, Solomon, who ended up becoming king after David. And when Solomon became king, um, God came to him and said that He would give him a gift. And Solomon asked for wisdom. Because he needed wisdom to be able to lead all the people. And God said, well, since you didn't ask for riches for yourself, and he said he'd give him riches and lands and things like that in addition to the wisdom that he was going to give him. Solomon, the Bible considers one of the wisest men who ever lived. And people came from miles around. Other kings and queens would come and visit him because they wanted to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And it says this queen of Sheba. Now where was Sheba? Sheba would have been probably what scholars think is probably where modern day Yemen is. So down on the very end of the Arabian Peninsula. So traveling quite a distance. Traveled all the way from there to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon. Was Solomon a miracle worker? Was Solomon showing a bunch of signs? It was wisdom. She was after wisdom. She traveled all that distance just to hear the wisdom and she accepted the wisdom that Solomon gave. And yet, these guys didn't have to travel anywhere. Someone greater than Solomon showed up right in their midst. Not only was he doing miracles, but he taught like nobody else could teach. He was God in the flesh. Jesus says, the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, will rise up at the judgment and condemn this wicked generation because someone greater than Solomon was in their midst and they didn't listen. 
They didn't listen. They wanted a sign. Now, this third part. When an unclean spirit goes out of, gone, has gone out of a person, passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none, and says, I will return to my house and from which I came. When it comes, finds the house empty, swept and put in order, and goes and brings with it several other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it is, will be with this evil generation. I think the point that we're coming to is the very end of this section, and that is the last state of this person it's talking about will be worse than the first state. He started out with a demon that left, but he ends up with eight demons. And the point here is that these people, this wicked generation, would be condemned because before Jesus came, they were already bad. But after Jesus came, they had not only been bad, but they had rejected the Messiah. They had rejected Jesus who came into their midst. So the last state was worse than the first. That's the point here. I think the point is not to teach us something about demonology. The point is the last state of this person. He's using it like a parable. He's using it to tell a story. And the point is the last state is worse than the first. Now what can we do with this story here about this man who had a demon who left and then came back, found it swept and put in order and brought back seven more demons. I think what we see here is someone who tries to clean up their own life with their own moral effort apart from the Spirit of God. See, the man was empty. Even though the demon had left, he, he, had, he was left empty. He didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling within him. He didn't get saved. He hadn't accepted Jesus. He just, maybe this demon just decided to leave him for a while. And so while the demon left, he was able to kind of get his life in order. By his own moral effort, by his own pulling himself up by his bootstraps. But our own moral efforts are never enough. What we can do, the Bible says our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. The man didn't have anything but a vacuum that was left there. And so when the demon came back, he may have had his life all cleaned up. He looked good on the outside, but his heart was empty. And so this demon came and he looked for seven other demons more wicked. They came and they had a party. They had a blast. And the man was worse off than he was before. When our souls are empty, when we are lost without Jesus, we cannot fix ourselves by self-improvement techniques. What we need is the Spirit of God to come in 
What we need is to receive Jesus who will come and dwell within us. And when that demon comes back, not only is it swept in good order, but there's a spirit there ready to keep him from ever coming back in again. But the wicked generation here, last day is worse than the first. That's the point I think here. Finally, we'll come to this last part. Jesus' mothers and mother and brothers. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, did he have something against his mom? No. Did he have something against his own perfect per, uh, human family? No. I mean, we know that his mother was there at the crucifixion and she was a believer after the resurrection. And we know that his brother James and Jude were both people who wrote books of the New Testament. His brother James was a leader in the Jerusalem church after the resurrection. So they became believers. He wasn't dissing them. But he was using that opportunity. They were probably coming, not because they thought he was crazy, but because they were concerned. They didn't didn't want to see him hurt because of these conflicts with the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus uses this opportunity to show a new message. That is, our relationship as believers... Our relationship as believers, those who are disciples of Jesus, those who have been adopted into God's family, is deeper and greater than the relationship that we have with our own biological kinships. The old saying says, blood is thicker than water. Right? The old saying is that There is no greater power that holds people together than than the blood. And I'm not talking about the blood of Jesus, but he's talking about family kinships. You you talk about my family, I'm going to get you, right? But what Jesus says here turns turns that saying on its head. I, I, I think in the Christian sense, Water is thicker than blood. And by water, I'm talking about the waters of baptism. When we have been born again, and when we have received Jesus, and we become His disciples, that new relationship takes priority even over our blood family kinships. That's what Jesus was teaching. You want to know who my family is, Jesus says? It's the one who does the will of my Father. Now, I don't want to take that into a legalistic sense. We can say, the one who does the will of my Father. Well, what is that? Does that mean keeping the Ten Commandments? Does that mean just living a moral life? Go back to the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus says we can't do that. 
Jesus tells us there, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery. Jesus tells us we can't keep the law. We can't do it. So what does it mean to do the will of the Father? It boils down to love God and love our neighbor, which is something we can't do apart from the Spirit's help. We can't do that apart from Jesus living within us. And how does that take place? It all comes down to a man who died on the cross to save the world. Jesus came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Not just to be a great moral teacher. Not just to put on a show. Jesus came to give Himself up as a ransom for many. He came and He died as a sacrificial atonement to die in our place, to be our substitute. And when we put our faith in Him, that is doing the will of the Father. And when we put our faith in Him, when we say to God, count the blood of Jesus to my account, to my sins, He comes in and He changes everything. He gives us the power to love God and love our neighbor in a way we never could have apart from Him. So it boils down to this. There are two ways we can relate to Jesus. These Pharisees, these scribes, they wanted to see a sign. They maybe saw Him as a moral teacher or a miracle worker. But are you in Jesus' family? Have you trusted in Him? Has He adopted you to be His own? The offer is free. It doesn't cost anything. We don't have to clean ourselves up first. If we clean ourselves up first, we're no better than that man who had the demon. He comes back and he finds himself all cleaned up. We don't clean ourselves up first. We come to Jesus and say, you clean me up because I can't do it. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church in Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.